Welcome, welcome back to Rise to Liberty podcast. Today I am joined by Jeremy Ryan Slate. Uh, just real quick, he is the host of Create Your Own Life podcast, a wonderful podcast that is linked down in the episode description. Um, you are quite the interesting person, I, I gotta say, and uh, thank you for coming on. This is a, it's it's an honor. Thanks, man. I, I feel like that intro, I gotta be like. <gasps> <laughs> I can't do the throaty thing real wide. I, I, my, my wife got mad at me. I turned on Lamb of God in the kitchen the other day. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So one thing I wanted to jump into real quick, I, I saw in your bio that you have a master's degree in early Roman Empire propaganda. Yeah, I, I'm a... What the hell my, is that? <laughs> so I, I, I'm really interested in... Um, I, I don't know how to explain this, like, which is funny because I have a degree in it. So I, I studied, um, I read an article way back, I'm trying to think of how many years ago now, but I read an article uh, called Augustus at Actium. And um, Augustus, after the Battle of Actium, that's when he defeats Mark Antony, um, ends up laying before the, the sarcophagus of Mark Antony and, and praying to it. And then he then pr proceeds to uh, take, you know, our, the sarcophagus of Alexander. So then he takes this. And then uses everything Alexander the Great did for many years to prove to other people, well, if you thought he was God, now I'm God. So I basically wrote a whole thesis on like the tools he used to basically brainwash people and convince me it was God. So how does that how, how does that relate to today, in your opinion? If you look at it, um, so here's what's interesting, right? Like the thing that's interesting about like a like a like a deity is they demand praise in some way and they're totally unreachable. So if you look at kind of this modern like celebrity influencer culture, like celebrity influencers kind of become like our new gods in a lot of ways um, because they deserve praise. They deserve, oh, my gosh, can you believe it's the Kardashians? Like, look at how big those butts are. And like, <laughs> but in some ways, they're very unreachable, right? Like the regular person yeah. is never going to meet this person. If they did, it would kind of be more of like a as weird as this sounds, a spiritual experience for them. So to me, that's what's really happened is we're in this interesting position where what people would have looked at for because we've become very secular in a lot of ways um, would have looked at from like their gods and people like that they, they've created beings like that for themselves that deserve praise is that does that make sense or is it a little bit too yeah. esoteric no 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 that, that that definitely makes sense so it's just like the existence of celebrities at all in the first place yes yes that and also like the whole like um you know the whole economy of people also you know giving all this attention to politicians and people like that like they're no better than you but they've managed to separate themselves from us and kind of create this holy image like oh my gosh can you believe that's you know xyz person and that separation is a lot of what makes us effective then if that makes sense yeah so it it, it allows them to have this uh ability to pass down you know opinions as though it's doctrine yeah. And, and too, like, it's also like one of the big things that, that Augustus did is um, he used imagery of himself, like, you know, putting it on money, putting it in different places, um, it, doing pictures of himself, like as uh, um, Hercules and things like that, like taking kind of the, the, the human and the divine and mixing it. And it, we, we have, you know, not quite that, but we have some similar ideas to even people look at some of our politicians and think they've, they've come down from God. And it's like, well, sorry to tell you this, man, they, they are actually a person um, <laughs> and they are probably flawed, but they also do similar things of like, you know, 
they're on money. They're on these different things. They have trinkets to them. They have, it's things that because these things exist, these people must be holier than thou. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it does seem as though that the attitudes that some people have towards politicians is just that, is that they are deities mm -hmm. and that they're going to save us or I don't, I don't even know what I've, I've not been in that line of thinking for so long. It's hard for me to empathize going back with that line of thinking. Well, but you know why? And I think this is why it happens again and again and again, because people innately don't want to take responsibility for things because then if it doesn't go well, it's their fault. And it, and it goes right back to, well, um, you know, if I pray to Augustus and he does it for me, well, Augustus saved me or, you know, it's his fault. It didn't work out. It's the same thing with like, well, I voted for this person and I put them in office and they're going to save me, but why didn't they save me? And I think that's what it really comes down to is our responsibility is actually for ourselves um, and actually for our own existence. And I think many times, you know, that's why to me, the sanest viewpoint a lot of times is being a libertarian because you take a lot more responsibility for things, but it, it I, I guess you get where I'm going with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so self, self-accountability, which seems to be like a, a modern day uh, demon in society is is that's how it's viewed it's it's self-accountability is just non-existent <laughs> yeah like like did you ever read atlas shrugged oh yeah um, atlas shrugged like literally one of my favorite books and uh, I, I read it like i tried to do it once a year but like life got so busy man because uh it's once every couple of years now but you get new insight every time you read it yeah and one of the biggest there's a phrase that keeps getting um repeated again and again and again in the book and it's this idea that like, well, you can't blame me. I, I didn't do it. And that's, and that's exactly the situation we're in, right? Like, well, it's not my fault we're here. And people don't want to be innately responsible because then the only person they had to blame is themselves. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. I, th I think uh, growing up, that was definitely one of, one of the hardest things for me to get used to is everything I do is my fault you know, whether that's good or bad, it's right. entirely my, my choices. Um, and nobody else's fault. Obviously people do things to other people, but that's neither here nor there. That, that doesn't really affect you unless you let it. Yeah. Well, and I, but I think often, um, even a lack of preparation could be so like, you know, a, a bad things happens to you, but you know, why didn't you have backups? Why didn't you have these other things or, or whatever it may be? Um, there, there, there's always a, a point of responsibility. Sometimes can, people can take too much and sometimes people can take too little. But when you look at that scale, the person that takes more is always going to be in a better condition, right? Because they're not begging other people for their own survival. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. So one one thing I wanted to uh, let the listeners know is uh, what, what side or what vein politically um, do you come from? Uh, are, are you leaning towards um, I, I would like to say vain because I don't, I don't think it's literally left or yeah. right. I, I think it's way more gray than that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I think it's tough because I think the, the standard political spectrum is kind of BS. Um, I, I kind of like G. Edward Griffin's version a little bit better where on, on one end there's totalitarianism and on the other end there's, you know, kind of everything else. And <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah. if you look at it, like, you know, fascism can be very totalitarian. Communism can be very totalitarian. Like these other things can be that way. And as you go down the other way, it's, it's quite different, right? Like I think our standard political spectrum is kind of just BS. Cause if I look at it, yeah. 
I don't really fit on it. Like, you know, do I vote Republican a lot of times? Sure. But I don't feel like I have, you know, a choice sometimes, but I'm socially very liberal, um, but I'm fiscally very conservative. And that's the thing that matters the most to me is how people are spending my money. Um, So, so I don't know, man, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hard to figure out in that way. I was registered independent for a while, um, but then you can't vote in a primary. So you really don't have a say. So it's where I often end up is, is, on the right, though, I'm probably more to the left than the right, which is kind of weird. Yeah, so you you get called right by the left and left by the right. Exactly, exactly. I'm yeah. I'm not I'm not far enough right for the for the right, and I'm not far enough left for the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I get that a lot as well. Um, obviously, uh, for a political party, I lean libertarian, um, but I I would say I'm small L. Um, which is funny because I'm, you know, deeply entrenched in my state libertarian party here. So for uh, for any purpose, anyone would look at that and be like, oh, you're big L. No, <laughs> yeah, you no, know, I'm not. Um, well, I like to me, I like somebody look more like, like Dave Smith, who's a, kind of the, the type of libertarian I like. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with Dave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, I really like him. I know there's a lot of people in the party that don't at all mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like well like it or not he's he's one of the great libertarian uh messengers at this time so like it or don't <laughs> yeah it's i i just i feel like the the, the modern political spectrum really is just bs because it, it doesn't describe something that even exists anymore too because like like i'm a big fan of of robert f kennedy jr um yeah. but he would Technically, he's on the left, but then the left hates him. So it's like, how do what do you even do with this? You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's the spectrum makes no sense to me. Yeah, I I do think there is a black and white of whether you're for control, you're for slavery or you're for freedom. And I I do think that that right there is black or white. And it's just in what degree are you uh, for whatever end of the spectrum? Bingo. Can I cuss on your show? Is that allowed? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. George W. Bush scares the shit out of me. Obama scares the shit out of me. You know what I mean? Like these guys like that, like whenever they call something really nice, like a bill, be afraid of it. The Patriot Act. Like if they come up with something called the loving America bill, man, I am terrified. So like (laughs) but it's everything kind of gives more power to, um, you know, the intelligence states, all these different things. I I got a chance to chat with uh, with General Michael Flynn the other day, who most of his life was a Democrat. Um, and then kind of as Republican, because nobody else will have him at this point. And if and yeah. if you look at it, like he was talking about, like the world has changed so much since 9-11 because we've become kind of this um, like I think people use the word deep state and it's kind of like a, a freaky term and it scares people. But what it actually means is kind of the people that get in a career position and stay there because they're they're longer than the administration. So you have that along with kind of this like technocratic world that's coming up. So it's just people that are for that. I don't like is is kind of my viewpoint on that yeah career politicians uh people that have made politics their career which it Mm -hmm. was never intended to be yeah 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 that's (laughs) i don't know those i'm with you those people absolutely terrify me um to me it, it seems as though if if you are in that position for a career then you have alternative motives well, and it's you don't get to be president by not having an ego the size of Montana, man. Like it just doesn't happen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you, like, yeah. you have to like, you have to think like you're God's gift to man to want to be president. I don't care who you are. 
So yeah. like, you know, like you, you don't get in that position by, by having an ego or by not having an ego. So it, so that's something I'd be concerned with. But if you look at it, like George Washington had a very interesting viewpoint on, um, on public service in terms of government service. And um, one of the, the things that he wanted in the Bill of Rights that didn't make it there was congressional representation. And I'm going to butcher the numbers on this, so I apologize. Um, but I think what it's currently at is it's like one person, uh, one representative for every 750,000 people in Congress. Um, and what George Washington wanted is he wanted one person for every 30,000 people. Um, now, we'd have to make Washington a whole lot bigger because there'd be a whole lot more bodies there, but it would be more yeah. like jury duty. And because of that, they'd agree on nothing and nothing would get done and it would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's that's the best the best thing we could possibly hope for is that everyone just disagrees so much that nothing ever gets done. Yes. I mean, that that's, in my opinion, the libertarian dream right there is that uh, we we're just at an impasse. And that's personally so that there's a. Uh, there's a community over in uh, Denmark, I believe it's, it's called, uh, uh, I can't, I can't remember the name of the community, but it, it's, it's basically an anarchist community. And that's basically how they run. Uh, anything that ever gets done in the community, literally every single person has a say, which means that anything that does get done takes a very long time because everyone has to agree on it. And at which point, it it slows the things um, that are under uh, undesirable because even if one person disagrees, then it can't move forward. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, that's bad and it's good because I, I yeah. be, the the issue with that is is I feel like I don't want to sound like a jerk, but I feel like there's <laughs> some people that shouldn't be voting on things. Do you know what I mean? Um, Completely agree. Like I have some friends that are like, oh, dude, I love you, but like, oof. I don't know if I ever want you deciding what happened and like happens to my kids. Um, yeah. And I think that's when you look at it, like what we're supposed to be as a country, but we're not anymore. Like we ceased to be around 1913 is a, a constitutional Republic, right? Um, you know, you, you vote people in that hopefully represent your thoughts and if they don't, you get them out. Right. Like, but what we've become, um, which is really interesting. I have this, I, I, I've had this idea that if you look at kind of the scale of the life cycle of a, of a Republic, Republic kind of being the highest ideal if you look at Plato's version. Um, and it kind of disintegrates to direct democracy. Direct democracy can then disintegrate to oligarchy. And oligarchy eventually disintegrates like a monarchy or a dictatorship, right? Like it always kind of comes back yeah. to one one person being in charge. And um, to me, the, the ideal place to be is a representative republic. We're not there anymore because even democracy has the ability to be um, exclusionary, right? Because the top group or the people that get the most votes can just push out the other people. And what really happened is, to, in my opinion, the turning point of this from changing from a republic to a direct democracy was 1913. Because you look at what happened that year. Um, before that time, you kept 100% of the money you made. You know, income tax yep. started that year. You have the 17th Amendment passed, which means the uh, Senate doesn't matter, right? Because now people are voting for the Senate and Congress. So it's like, what's the point? The states have no representation. And, oh gosh, what was the third thing? There was another thing that happened that year, which wasn't so good. Uh, oh, the Federal Reserve. There we go. That's a really bad one. Um, so like we we kind of <laughs> lost control of like what our country was at that point. And it, that, at least that's my viewpoint of like kind of where how we got here. Yeah, I I would I would say that it's definitely 1913 was definitely like the turning point. Yeah, where it's like a hard, a hard left or a hard right. However you want to view it. 
definitely took a turn for the worst. Um, my personal opinion is it started with Lincoln. Um, you know, I see I that. Mean, he he instituted the first federal income tax. And you know, suspended habeas corpus, you know, that's yeah, bad. Uh, silenced uh, journalists and anyone who was critical of him. You know, th there was a lot of really terrible things. So personally, I think it started with him, but I would agree that 1913 is where it really took that hard U-turn um, away from anything that this country was supposed to be. Yeah, because if you look at it too, like... Um whether whether you agree with why the civil war happened or why you don't um they were just like hey you know so like we don't agree with you guys so we're leaving and he's like no you're not like at the same time yeah. like like um the federal government i think then really superseded states right because the states are only here because they decide to, to give some some power to the federal yeah. government and at that point in time i do think we became more of a very federalist system yeah well and nowadays like the only reason the drinking age is 21 is because all states agree with it, whereas in each state could actually make up their own mind on how they would want to address that. Yeah. Um, but yet they receive funding from the federal government to be able to keep it at 21. Which, by and, the way, if if, uh, if people can shoot at you when you're in a military uniform at 18, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't see a problem with you drinking at 18, but it is what it is. I I don't either. Um, I always thought a fair compromise would have been like, uh, you have access to like beer and maybe liquor at 21, you yeah. know, like, yeah, if, if you can, uh, literally sign your entire life and body over to the federal government, you should have every right to be we do to that the day beer. you're born at this point, man. But you know, anyway, true, <laughs> true. You know, social security numbers and yeah. birth certificates. So one thing I wanted to, uh, touch on, uh, Trump DeSantis, where are you sitting? It's tough, man. And here and here's what I look at, because I have friends that are on both sides of this. And I think how the arguments have went are are ugly as anything, because people aren't talking about issues. They're making fun of each other. And that, to me, that has zero value. Yeah. Um, I, I look at like what's happening with Trump federally. Right. Like you have the federal indictment just came down yesterday. You have uh, a few months ago, the, the New York D.A. indicts him. Um, I actually thought the Georgia indictment was going to come first, but the Georgia indictment is going to be coming soon. And the indictment yesterday was actually like in the federal district in Florida. There's also going to be another federal indictment coming in the district of D.C., so stay tuned. So that's four indictments that um, they could go after him for. Um, and I, I like DeSantis, too. My parents live in Florida, and they're big fans of him. But the thing I struggle with, and maybe this is just me, I just feel shades of Jeb Bush when I see the guy. Um, and I'm also not Donald Trump's biggest fan, though, because he's brash, and he's a bowling ball, and he's everything else. So it's like... If we're down to me, I'd, I'd pick Vivek Ramaswamy. I love the guy. I think he's really smart. I think he's really brilliant, but I just don't know that he can kind of pull enough of the voting base to do that. Yeah. So if it was down to it, I would I would pick Trump just because I think enough people hate him that I'm like, okay, maybe the guy should be there. Um, but uh, I just don't like the fracture right now, um, you know, because you have kind of big C conservatives behind DeSantis and everybody else is behind Trump. And Basically, what's going to happen is Joe Biden's just going to win because they're going to separate each other. That's my opinion. Yeah, and just split the vote. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, from a political strategy um, outlook, I think it's it's really bad for DeSantis to be pushing for president right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, strategically speaking, fall for vice president and then we could get another eight years of DeSantis after Trump. 
Well, but. that's the thing, man. It's like you can get four years now, maybe, or eight years, definitely. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. be his VP, be his dude, and then eventually you'll just kind of like take the mantle. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, maybe just pure ego, but it doesn't make sense to me to push so hard for president right this minute. You know, it's you also have to look at like the political consultants behind him and that are yeah. making a lot of money. And, and they're they're looking at, you know, maybe this is their only shot to do this. So yeah, writing on he, the, the, the who's in his ear. Thing. Yeah, from from what I can see, um, it seems as though he hasn't surrounded himself with the best of people, which also seems to be Trump's problem. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's so been I, my issue with like know. if Trump got elected again, it's like, man, I would really want him to like like you're supposed to be the the people that knows the guy that knows people, right? Like the you're fired yeah. guy. And instead, like, you know, <laughs> John Bolton, really? Come on, man. Or or of all people. John Bolton? Come on. It's like Victoria Newland, how is she still around? That woman terrifies yeah. me. <laughs> like, 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 you know what I mean? Like the lady lit Ukraine on fire ten years ago and we're and we're we're still letting her be in a government office. Yeah. So like to me, like if he's really going to drain the swamp, like you got to pick better people, dude. But at the same thing with DeSantis, right? Like the some of the people that, that are surrounding him concern me because, you know, Paul Ryan and people like that, they're they're conservative ink, man. They're big C conservative. Ronna McDaniel. Oh, dear God. So it's just like, you know, this is this is the problem I've always had with Republicans, which is why I'm not a Republican is it seems as though that there are a lot of people within the party um, that surround themselves with uh, the Republican celebrities that definitely aren't Republicans, you know, the the rhinos, I guess. I, I don't really like using that term, but I can't think of anything else to call them. Yeah. But it's like Mitch McConnell. Like, really? You, you can't even take care of the corruption in your own party. What makes me think that you can do anything for the country? Mm -hmm. Well, you look at a guy like Charlie Crist, right? Charlie yeah. Crist was Republican of Florida or was Republican governor of Florida. And oh, he ran as a Democrat this time. It's like it's like if you believe what you believe so much, how do you flip that easy just to get a job? Yeah. And I here's like I have an issue with the Republican Party. Uh not the Republican voting base. Although, I'm in the same boat. You know, I, I do think that the Republican voting base has been betrayed so many times. I don't understand the loyalty. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that that's I, I had a conversation with somebody not long ago about this, because I feel like the, the thing that's strange about the, the GOP, like the GOP, like seems to hate the people that vote for them. I actually I, I don't get it. Actually, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, you have people like um, I, I apologize if you like this guy, but you have people like Sean Hannity out there that if he could figure out how to be money being get, make money being a Democrat, he'd do it. You know what I mean? It's oh, just yeah. like I, I just feel like it's all an act to be famous or to to get attention or to do whatever. Um, but instead of like, how do we like fix this thing? Because things don't feel so good right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how do we get back to where we're supposed to be? Well, and that's that's why I was always drawn towards the Libertarian Party. Yeah. Um, which, granted, I have my own qualms with the party itself. Um, because I, I see the outlook. It's like, as a, as a Republican would look at the libertarian party, just being like, well, you know, I'm already in this, I'm voting. Why would I vote for third party? Because, 
you know, you're not offering anything different really. So I might as well just stick with the same, with the same, uh, with the same party. So I see why people wouldn't want to go libertarian, but to keep doing the same thing over and over. And I mean, you, you brought up Bush. Well, Ugh. the Republicans had the presidency, had the house, had the Senate, had everything had the intelligence community all wrapped up into one mm -hmm. and everything just got worse. Yeah. Do you, have you ever read any Jim Mars? No. Okay. Jim Mars, uh, you know, rest in peace. One of my favorite authors. Um, he kind of looks at secret societies and looks at a lot of the wheels of government and stuff like that. And um, he has a, a word that he calls uh, George W. Bush. Um, so he says in, in Texas, there's this thing people do where when they think they're funny, they take a turtle, they put them on top of a fence post because there's no freaking way a turtle can get on top of a fence post. So he calls George Bush a post turtle. You don't know how he got there, but you just want to help the poor creature down. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually really funny. <laughs> yeah, that's I would say that's spot on. That's that is really funny. It, th this is why I don't understand Republican voters, though. They they see these people. They know these things, and yet they still just keep coming back for more. It's like, uh, like it's the two party system, though, and that's the problem. The problem is like you should be able to vote for a third party, and they should have a chance. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah. you should be able to vote for a third party and should have a chance. Like our system is set up. This is you know George Washington warned us against political parties, because what happens is um, there was a, a a book that Glenn Beck wrote a bunch of years ago called The Overton Window. And yep. the Overton window, um, it comes from, oh, I forget the guy's name, uh, Bernays, was it ever Bernays? But anyway, the, the Overton window is you take two extremes and you grab something in the middle. It's still pretty darn extreme, um, but yep. you're going to pick it because it's not as bad as the thing on either side. And that's exactly what the two-party system does. It It continually pushes us towards something that's extreme, but because it's not as bad as one or the other, we pick it. And yep. that's what's, we need a third, a fourth, maybe even a fifth party so people can actually choose something that matters to them. Yeah, so I actually ran for office here in the state of Utah. Oh, cool. And uh, I see why people don't run for office. It's it's a nightmare. It's not fun. Um, but one one thing I ran on, I ran on a very uh, a very radical platform just to shift that Overton window. Uh, mm -hmm. One of one of my plat my number one platform was to abolish government involvement in schooling period. Yes. That's it. Get rid of the like, department of education, man. Yeah. Well, not even that just state involvement as well. All of it. Now at the time there was a lot of people that heard that, that thought like, Whoa, you know, that's pretty radical. Now, you know, on the other side of this, I say the same things. And a lot of people are like, you know, that's not that crazy of an idea now. Well, and this is the thing that COVID did for us, right? Like COVID actually, because the kids came home from school, we got to see what they're actually doing at school. We're, like we're homeschooled. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm terrified of public schools yeah. Um, because I was somebody that barely survived them. So it's like yep. you, you, it's they, they find the people that are smart. They find the people that are intelligent. They find the people that won't stay in line and they persecute them. And I oh, think yeah. that's what's really like our school system. Dude, that is one of the things I am most passionate about, like actually burning to the ground because yep. it, it's it's based on the Austro-Hungarian model of, you know, turning out soldiers and people that work in factories, um, which is kind of mixed with the Industrial Revolution when it was created. Um, and 
it's not really set up to create people that think outside of the box that that can start a business that can do these different things. Instead, it sets you up to go get a job. But if yep. there's no people to create jobs, how do you get one from the person that didn't go to school? That's how. Um, exactly. But like, and so I think to <laughs> me, like we're personally we're homeschooling. I think our education system, if we're going to have it at all, needs a major overhaul. Um, yeah. Because we should be looking at classical education. Like my, for me, I studied a lot of Roman, Greek, uh, things like that. I think there's so much value in that. But there's also a big thing that's missing in the idea of apprenticeships. You work at yes. something for a while, you get some experience, you see if you like it, if you don't like it, you go get another job, see how that goes. Like to me, having good physical work has a lot of learning value. And then if you feel like you want to go do something else, then you go to college. But it seems like college is like high school part two and it has yep. no value. Well, it, it seems to me, everyone says you have to go to college to be able to get you know a job and everything. And it's like, well, why don't, we just make the high school diploma, which I disagree with, you know, a government saying, oh, you're smart enough to be in the workforce. <laughs> I have an issue with that. Yeah. Um, but why don't we just make that high school diploma what you would get after a four-year degree? Like, I think we, we spend too make... much time in school altogether, though, man. Oh, we definitely do. We definitely do. Um, I actually think that, you know, the older you get, the more recess you should have. Uh, you know, some structured recess with some sort of a plan. And I've seen a lot of homeschool parents do this mm -hmm. where it's like, we only spend about two or three hours of, of schoolwork. And then the rest of the time we're outside, like learning, you know, just whatever. Um, What's it? My five-year-old acts like most people's 11-year-olds, but like it, it's because I feel the, the school system holds us back. And then also at the same time, I don't know if you followed the, um, I had a, I don't know if you, do you know who James Lindsay is by any chance? Oh yeah. Okay. So I, I've had, a, I've had a couple conversations with him on, on my show about like, how did we get here? Right. And yeah. if you look at it, like it's our university is just kind of turned into like, you know, little socialist woke factories um, <laughs> coming from, from Paulo Ferreri, the, the Brazilian in, in the eighties that took liberation theology, got rid of the theology and just kept the liberation and put in some, some Marxism. And because of that, they took over the colleges of education Colleges of education turn out woke teachers. Woke teachers take over the schools. Schools are worthless now. So it's like, to me, it's like, I know how we got here now. And that's what terrifies me about allowing my kids to go into it. Yeah. Well, and it, it just seems completely pointless. We, we pushed a couple of generations through college saying, this is what you need to be successful. Well, the more college degrees there are, the less they're worth. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> It just, I, I am wholeheartedly behind uh, the trades, apprenticeships. I, I'm behind people just not, you know, going to school at all. You know. Well, I, I think there's some caveats to that, though, right? Like, there's certain careers I think you do need it for. Like, you Agreed. know, let's say if you're like a doctor, you're, you're not cutting me unless you got the proper paperwork, man. It's not happening. Um, yeah. A lawyer, maybe, right? Because I actually know some some people that that call themselves common law lawyers and are actually smarter than a lot of lawyers I met. But there's they, they've met there's certain I, careers. I think, uh, a, a lawyer you could probably go through with an apprenticeship. I, I think so, but you like know. there's certain careers I think you do need some sort of, and it doesn't have to be college, some sort of higher level type of education. Yeah. I just think our model is wrong. Yeah, I I agree. The the way that we approach it. It doesn't seem like it's meant for success, especially now since the mask has slipped so far. Um, first of all, it's barely being worn. So we can basically see that they are just indoctrination camps. Mm 
Um, I, I, I wanted to slip a joke there and say, like, you got to make sure that mask is up, though, because you can get a ticket in New York State anyway. <laughs> yeah. Make sure to wear that face diaper. <laughs> I couldn't help so, myself. So what what was your schooling experience like? You, you had just made that comment that mm-hmm. you felt that you had just barely made it through. So what, what was your schooling experience like? So um, for me, I started in public school and um, I – tested like high IQ, like 150s at like the age of like, you know, eight, I was like a really smart kid. So because of that, two things, I finished my work faster. And if you try to just make me do a more work that wasn't harder, I think it was dumb and not do it. So what would that mean? I would develop new and better ways to annoy my teacher. Um, <laughs> I got kicked out of kindergarten by singing friends in low places by Garth Brooks, because, <laughs> because a yeah. five-year-old shouldn't worry about whiskey and beer chasing his booze away. But I was. Um, <laughs> but um, so because of that, they, they had him. This was in second grade. They had a meeting with my parents. Um, and mind you, there wasn't a doctor or a psychiatrist or a psychologist or anything like, anybody like this present. It was my teacher and the principal. And they're like, so well, he has ADHD and he's going to need to go on Ritalin. And my parents are like, okay, then he's not going to stay here. Um, so my parents ended up putting me in Catholic school at that point in time. And my parents were broke as a joke. Like they didn't have the money to afford this, but they kind of valued me not getting screwed up better uh, than, than, you know, the dollars they didn't have. So the thing I did struggle with is Catholic school is a very closed environment. So if you didn't start there, you never get accepted. So I was always kind of the outsider looking in, but because of that, it made me kind of look at a lot of the education I was receiving. Cause you do, you did at this point, I don't think as much now, um, receive a really good classical education in Catholic school. You don't really do that as much anymore. I've seen some of the things they're teaching there. It's a little bit scary. Um, but like, so I just dove into my studies, man. It was just, I was somebody that I've always been like super literate. So you can put something in front of me. I'll learn it quickly, whatever it may be. I'm an individualized learner. So for me, I wasn't accepted in the groups. I just learned. Yeah. So ultimately, would you say that uh, due to the more, I, I guess uh, less state-sponsored education. Would you feel that that actually benefited you in the long oh, big run time. to to where you are now? Big time. Um, and but I, the thing I would say is I don't know if it's that way for everybody. It was it worked for me because I'm self-motivated, right? Like you know I'm the weird kid right reading Tom Clancy at nine years old. So like <laughs> so just because of my personality and putting me in that situation, I think I was able to 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 work well with that. Like I'm, I'm playing PlayStation two on mute and I, and I'm, you know, listening to war and peace. So it's like, yeah, I just, that's just my personality. I've always been that way. So I think putting me in that situation, I'm just going to be somebody more willing to learn because I enjoy it. Not everybody's going to get that out of it. So I benefited. Yes. I don't know if everybody would. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of traditional education. I'm, I'm not either. Um, personally, I'm, I'm one of these people. It's like, you know, tell me once, show me once, maybe twice. And I've got it from there. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> you know, I, I myself also tested, uh, very high for IQ. I've taken two of the three, um, IQ tests that are, you know, widely accepted, uh, largely different scores. One was like 130, and the other one was like 150 something or yeah. other. And yeah, uh, usually about junior high is where I, or middle school was where I hit a roadblock. And I just mm-hmm. said, this this doesn't function in my brain to just sit here and memorize facts. 
granted, I like memorizing facts. Yeah. Um, which is partially why I do a podcast, you know, but um, for education, it, it was never, it, it just never worked for me. And then, you know, the, the social aspect was just terrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrible for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I will say the fact that I was kind of like never accepted into the group made me have to like learn other skills. Right. It learned it, yeah. it, it. It's, and I also had to mature at an early age because it was like, all right, if all these other things kids do don't matter, then I can just be an adult, whatever. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, it also made me have to kind of work things out better. So you, you're a father. Uh, how many kids do you have? I have two. Two. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm overwhelmed by estrogen in my house, though. I will say that. <laughs> it's not always the worst thing, but... my, my The only male in my house are my two roosters and then my pig who's been neutered. So it's kind of like we're in we're in trouble here. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet it does get overwhelming every now and then. Um, so w- what was the decision for you to homeschool other than, you know, the obvious... Uh, you know, your kids go to school and turn into gay communists. Um, it was actually exactly that. Um, I, I did not want my kids to turn into gay communists. My wife was on the same <laughs> page, and we're like, we're like, you know what? I I think I can avoid that. And I'm like, okay, then then we're in good shape. So so um, so that was it, for me. That was actually the major thing. Is that the political environment scares the hell out of me right now? I know, like I say that in jest, but the political environment yeah. scares the shit out of me right now. Yeah. So it's like at the same time, like I want my kids to be who they are, right? I don't want somebody to tell them who they are, or give them an idea, or um, you know, start showing their private parts to them when they're in kindergarten. Like you know what I mean? It just it it terrifies me that like our school system has like become comfortable with like grooming kids for pedophilia. Like it's like a really kind of scary thing with what you see out there. I just don't want to put my kids in that environment and I want them to learn. And at the same time, the thing I look at is I remember my own experience, right? Um, I, this is once again, this isn't to toot my own horn, but I was a smart kid. And what happens is a lot of times those are the kids that get singled out. Um, And so the school system was hard on me because of that. My kids are probably smarter than I was. So they're going to be in a rougher position than I was. I don't want to do that to them. So to me, that's what I look at is I want them to have wonderful childhoods, wonderful adult lives. And I just don't see the school system providing that for them. So one thing I always hear about homeschool uh, from the critics, um, it's like, oh, well, your your kids aren't, you know, going to be the same. They're they're not they're going to be socially different. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. I was just going to say, that's the point. They're not like your kids. Isn't that great? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like my, my kids aren't going to have all these social and emotional issues by the time they're teenagers. And then that carries over into adulthood. You know? I, I had somebody say this to me once and I was literally like, yes, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's actually wonderful. I recommend it highly. <laughs> And they, yeah, the look on the look on the face though, when the person received that communication, they're like, "Whoa, okay, <laughs> I, I guess this conversation's over. I'm going to walk that way now." <laughs> yeah. So here in Utah, we actually just had a. What part of Utah are you in, by the way? Northern Utah. So uh, I spent a lot of time in St. George. I've actually never been in okay. Northern Utah. I recommend it up here anytime. Uh, we'll we'll keep in touch, and uh, anytime you make it out over here, I'll uh, I'll show you around gorgeous cool. part of the country. Um, I'm about 40 minutes north of Salt Lake. Okay. So Salt Lake is just, you know, a liberal hellhole. Um, that, that's unfair. I do like Salt Lake, but I, I'm a big skier. So I've always wanted to, but we just never gotten a chance to. 
Well, any anytime you get a chance, I'll I'll take you up here to uh, some of the local spots because there's some just some gorgeous areas up here. So, cool. But um, recently we had a like a school voucher program um, made available, um, and it, it it was a massive step towards you know school choice, and what was interesting was the critics of it. Obviously a lot of teachers mm-hmm. um, involved in the teachers union. Uh, they kept coming out saying, you know, that this is really bad for teachers and, you know, this affects low income people. And it's like, well, none of that's true. But if this opens up, you know, the marketplace, then this opens it up to where it's based on merit so it seemed as though the only teachers who were really throwing a fit about this were teachers that would probably make less because of their merit. So the thing I've struggled with around this, because I know I follow Corey DeAngelis a lot and he's always promoting it and how it's such a good thing and everything. And then like I was listening to, um, I don't listen all the time, but I was listening to, to, to Glenn Beck a couple weeks ago. And he's like, oh, school choice is a trap. And I'm like trying to figure out like, how, how is that possible? Like I, to me, I don't see the negative in it. I don't know if there's not something I'm looking at, but I, I've heard because um, to me, it seems like Beck is somebody that should like think it is a good thing. Like I, I to me, I, yeah. I, I don't know enough about the topic, but it would seem like me to me, essentially, it's a good thing because if I'm paying tax money, shouldn't it go to what I want it to go to? Like, I don't know. Do you, yeah. do you understand more of that ar- argument than I do? I, I don't quite have been able to wrap my head around it. Um, I'm. I don't quite understand where they're coming from. Um, The argument goes something like because, you know, society is, that's where a lot of this starts. Society is responsible for the education of the children because, you know, educated children equals a better society. And it's like, on the surface, I might agree with that, but I disagree that it's society's responsibility to be in charge of all children. You know, mm-hmm. the, the whole village it, or it takes a village that that doesn't mean all of society. That means like a large family. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's it, the village. Not I, I find that creepy because like even, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Biden in between talking about touching my hair or legs. Um, you know, he's talking, <laughs> he, he, he's saying that like, you know, your kids aren't your own. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, how, how does that make yeah. sense? Like they, they, they are my kids, you know? Yeah, exactly. There, I just saw a, a clip of, of him just a couple of days ago saying that, uh, you know, they're not just your kids. It's like, no, they are though. Yeah. And they're not the state's kids at all for mm-hmm. any reason. They're not society's kids. They are the parents, the, the parents' children. <laughs> well, the, the, trouble, the, the trouble with that though, is that viewpoint actually comes from like kind of a whole collectivist viewpoint which is the really really dangerous thing people don't see like like people look at like what we're experiencing right now and i think everybody misses the mark most republicans especially miss the mark they don't see it they want to see it for oh it's you know the, the the liberals and antifa whatever it may be you know what it actually is is it's maoism that is exactly what we're going yeah. into we're going into a cultural revolution where you got to pick a color and that's your favorite one and yeah. if we don't see that, we're in trouble, man. And that's exactly what that viewpoint comes out of. So may, maybe you would agree with this or disagree with this. But to me, it seems as though one of the biggest issues is 
the the state trying to just take more and more control uh and it seems as though they're doing this through the destruction of the family. Yes. Separate the the children from the parents, uh, at which point, you know, I mean, children are typically in public school eight hours a day. Uh, that that's, that's a long time for children to be around uh, state employees. So, which would, may or may not be, a, may or may not be approved to be around children, but continue. <laughs> So w- would you agree with that assessment that that's broadly what seems to be happening? Well, you hit the nail on the head and it goes back to just what I was saying. Because if you look at uh, Mao's cultural revolution, the thing that he did is he separated children and parents. And who what he did is Mao's red guard um, was actually the children. He was the children, the teenagers and the youth. And he empowered them. And through empowering them is how he took over. And if you if you look at what happens then in in the Cultural Revolution, there were things that were red identities and things that were black identities. The red identities were the communist identities you could be, and you wanted to be all those things. And the black identities were things you didn't want to be. You know, a business owner, a patriot, these different things. Those were bad things. So you then have children reporting on their parents and policing their parents and doing things like this because well, children were the future, right? So blah, blah, blah. that is exactly what you're experiencing right now. And it's like, you know, you can pick your pronouns or you can pick your gender, or you can pick these different things. And because of that, you're choosing the right type of um, the right type of identity because you can be a uh, revolutionary in that way, just like how Mao wanted the cultural revolution. So like point for point, that is exactly what we're experiencing right now. And if you even look at, um, I don't know if you saw Plandemic 3. Um, I actually just finished it. And it, it covers um, a lot of the funding behind the uh, the 2020 riots and then also like uh, a lot of the BLM stuff and whatnot. And a lot of it comes from uh, subsidiaries of the Chinese Communist Party in Vietnam. And it comes from uh, this group in California that was also a subsidiary of the Chinese Communist Party. So it's like they're not stupid, man. They're doing it the same way, but we're too stupid to see it. Yeah. Um. Let, let me ask your opinion. What do you think um, shame plays a role in a healthy, self-governing society? Like from what viewpoint? Because I can see it in terms of like a struggle session, like the communist struggle session. So, like, so my, my personal opinion is that... Um, as as a individual who doesn't need nor want government running society, um, there is a certain amount of self-governance that we need to be in charge of. Uh, the ideal situation, if government must exist, is that government is a referee, like in a hockey game, not, not a player. Right. So we're you know, following certain rules and we enforce these rules upon each other through social pressures, such as shame. Um, There are certain things that we should feel shameful for, but there is a huge leftist movement to not shame, such as, you know, don't kink shame, uh, don't body shame, don't, um, I mean, put whatever blank shame in front of it. And it seems as though that not shaming is taking away responsibility that uh, we, we had started the show speaking about. So my personal opinion is that there are certain social pressures 
used intelligently by you know educated people because shame can obviously be misused yeah but uh in appropriate situations shame is one of the cornerstones of a healthy society i don't know if shame is the right term for it and you may disagree with me on this um but i i um I don't know. Have you been watching any of Tucker Carlson's new videos? They're, they're pretty good. The ones he's been putting yeah. up on Twitter. So oh, the yeah. one he put up yesterday, and I had never looked at it like this, um, is he talked about taboos, like the things that are acceptable and not acceptable in society. And they don't really have laws or anything governor, but they're acceptable because we decide they're acceptable. And the thing that's really interesting is what's actually happened is a perversion of our taboos. They're not actually changing a heck of a lot of laws. They're just changing what people accept and don't accept. Yeah. So I don't know if it's really a shame thing. I think it's like, Maybe it is, right? Like maybe it is, but like in the other side, if you get what I'm saying, like you've been shamed into, um, well, you support BLM, don't you? Or you support yeah. this group, don't you? So I, I feel like it's not really us shaming them, if you get what I'm saying, but it's more shame the other way. And you kind of yeah. see you kind of see the people that are like, well, they, they give in easy, right? And I think what you have to look at is what are your own morals and values? And I think a lot of people are very wishy-washy on that. Yeah. And it's hard to, it's hard to, and I think to me, that's where like, I, I can see the libertarian viewpoint, but I can't because I think often sometimes uh, the libertarian viewpoint is just kind of permit people to do whatever, but there has to be a certain moral and value to society, right? That we all agree on. Um, so I don't know if I'm seeing, I'm seeing that wrong. You can correct me on that if I'm, if I'm wrong, but like, and I, so I think the difficult thing about that is if we don't have a moral framework, we all agree on, right? Like you, then it becomes hard to actually have a society that continues in the way we want it to continue, right? There has to be something there, but it doesn't be total control. And I, to me, like that's been destroyed and it's been railroaded and it's been perverted. And the, the fact that, that pedophilia and some of these things have become so acceptable scares the hell out of me. Oh yeah. So it's just, to me, we've gone down this long and slippery slope and no laws have really changed. That's the weird part about it. Yeah. So the, the, this is actually something I battle with in the libertarian uh, thought realm quite a bit is there, there's this idea that, well, that's somebody else's life. It doesn't affect me. But it does. Exactly. Um, it, it entirely does. And this is where I think the libertarians fail in many cases. But that's also where the, the Republicans fail them because then they want yeah. everybody to be like, way too buttoned up and it's kind of like okay yep. come on man there's a, there's a there's a compromise here well i i see that the the republicans wanting to uh you know put all these social pressures into law and you can't do that no the, the, these are things that you can't legislate against now i obviously you can't force somebody to make a certain decision through the through the threat of force that's that's immoral correct but you have these social pressures, uh, such as uh, you be a good father and you stay in in the home and raise your children, and it's shameful to not. Correct. And so you would shame a person who doesn't do those things. Um, that that's a social pressure, um, and a healthy social pressure, in my opinion. And that doesn't mean that you, obviously you use the the threat of force of government to come in and force a man to stay in his home. Well, but I, if he I, does I think leave... Hungary gets it right though. Like, have you noticed what 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 Hungary's been doing a lot recently? Um, uh -huh. So Hungary um, has realized that a lot of what we're seeing is kind of the, the degradation of society. Um, so so their their president's actually a, a really interesting guy, 
and um, his name escapes me suddenly, uh, Victor Orban. Um, and um, what they've actually done is they've created a lot of policy around like tax breaks and things like that for families that stay together or have more than, you know, two kids. Or, so like, I don't know if maybe we shouldn't shame, but reward people that like do what we look for. Do you get know what I'm saying? Like, it's not really yeah. a law, but it's like a tax break would be wonderful or, um, you know, lower loan rates and things like that would be great. So like maybe we incentivize in different ways rather than like punishing, if that makes sense. I don't know if it, that, that's I mean, at least how I look I'm, at it. I'm for the abolition of all taxes, but hey, I'm I'm with you, man. You but know. if we if we got to live within the current system, then let's at least True. do something a little better. Um, and and that is the other side of this is people work off of incentives. Period. Mm -hmm. Like even if it's completely selfless, it's entirely motivated motivated by incentive. Um, it's just up to the individual about what incentive um means the most or you know drives them. Yeah. Now, I this is kind of where I push back with libertarians and why I think we failed so much as uh, politically is because what we are offering. And I, I think this is where libertarians get it wrong, because the actual, in my opinion, the actual libertarian position is self-governance, mm -hmm. which means it, it is on us to be able to run society which means we stick up for morality. Yeah. It's the whole point. I mean, yeah. we, we just don't believe in governmental force for most things. Now, there are certain, certain things that we might have to use a collective force for, but that would be such a sparing one-off situation. Pedophilia, for one, I'm okay with state force being used against pedophiles yeah however it's creepy yeah right however it's it's the question of how how does that get organized how does that get used effectively because then it can always if if it exists it can has the potential for abuse um it can but, be so tough to get to like pick a political party man it, like it really yeah. can because i even look at like and i don't know if you're going to disagree with me on this one but like I'm pro I'm a pro life within reason, right? Because I think there's there's certain reasons that maybe we should look at, we should consider otherwise. Like if a woman is going to die versus having a child, well, I think they have a choice there. Because if there's no mother to take care of the kid, like that sucks for the kid too. You know, like so it's like, but the Republican Party would say, How dare you? And I'm like, but can we use a little common sense, guys? But anyway. Yeah, uh, pro life to the extreme. And I get it. Um, I do think that, you know, abortion at, at any point, regardless of how uh, understandable it is, it is murder for what it is. However, mm -hmm. I do believe that there are exceptions. Um, like you had pointed out, if it kills the mother, then. You know. It's like it's like it's going to hurt the family then, too. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's yeah. so tough because it's like we should do everything we can to save both people. And Always. but like but like when you get to, to to nine months and somebody are like oh I should have a right to put my children my children I'm like that's crazy that's just taking no responsibility for for what you've created so it's anyway well I'll, I'll tell <laughs> you to open a can of worms at you at this point in the conversation <laughs> man <laughs> well I'm I'm actually uh you know this this seems pretty harsh but I'm I'm actually pro abortion uh the reason why conservatives aren't the ones having abortions. So the liberals can go ahead and kill off their voting base. It's not me. <laughs> well, that's what that's what Tim Pool talks about. He goes, "That's fine. There'll be nobody to vote for him in five years." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like obviously, uh, 
once again, I can't tell people not to, or I can tell them not to, but I can't use government force to stop them. Well, that's why Roe v. Wade coming back, I think, was correct, because it's yep. if, if anything, it's a state's rights issue, if anything. Agreed. But like, it's not a federal issue like the, the They took several laws that had nothing to do with each other and tried to kind yep. of put them together and make like a Megatron or something and say, oh, this works. Yeah. I mean, I can't even I, I can't think of too many things that actually are federal issues. Mm hmm. Um, well, that, that's like even the when they did the town hall and they, they said that they said to Trump, would, you know, would you support a federal abortion ban? And he wouldn't tell them yes, because the correct response is not to say yes, because it's not a federal issue. Yeah. States get to decide, man. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't like whatever that state decides, move. Yeah. We, we get 50 little experiments about how to run a government. And if you don't like one, then move somewhere or get involved and change it. I mean, those are your two options. Well, you guys in Utah are doing a better job here than we are in New Jersey, man. Like, I'm, I'm in some cases ready, ready to abandon ship. So, <laughs> well, we we over here in Utah would be more than willing to accept you guys. Um, <laughs> we 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 just don't care too much for uh, you know Californians. So I don't think many people do. So <laughs> there there are some people in California we we wouldn't mind having. However, uh, most of the people that move here are ones that we don't want, you know, don't California, my Utah, <laughs> but you know, there, there's definitely, I, I think on many fronts we are doing very well. And then there's, there's other, other things that uh, I'm not too comfortable with. Uh, you know, the relationship that our governor has with uh, Israel makes me uncomfortable. Um, a little too friendly. Same, same with DeSantis too. Um, it's like, it's fine to obviously uh, have allies in other places, uh, but when there's loyalties, mm, you know, you should be loyal I, to your own country first. Like that's what it, is, what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah. The the people you were elected to, uh, you know, help lead, I, I think is your first loyalty. And if it's not, then we we should call into question of why you're even in that office in the first place. Let's, if you want to fix the debt ceiling problem, just cut all the foreign aid. We'll be in good shape, man. <laughs> yep. Uh, and all foreign aid to Israel. I am okay with that, uh, along with uh, Ukraine. So it's not our business. Yeah. Well, it's. I, I think it's. We're, we're struggling to pay for a lot of things here. Some of it because of entitlement programs and everything else. But at the same time, like, why are we sending money to other countries for like their gender studies program or seeing why their frogs are hermaphroditic or whatever the hell it may be like <laughs> like it's just to me it's just wild and even um we just spend too much money on really stupid things as a, as a country yep. like like if you even look at some of the money like the uh naid spends like on like yeah. researching monkeys smoking crack there's actually an experiment around that so it's like like we're spending too much money foreign on things that really don't matter domestically yeah. that really don't matter it's like we could fix all this stuff pretty quickly if we just stop spending like drunken sailors. I completely agree. So that that is one thing uh, I I do um, I do want to ask you about because yeah. monkey smoking crack. Yes, of course. Because <laughs> this this is a libertarian show. After no, I'm just kidding. Um, Definitely not a libertarian show, just a show ran by a libertarian. However, 
what do you think like actual practical solutions are to a lot of this? Because I like, we, we can sit here and criticize of what's wrong all, all day, uh, which I do enjoy doing. However, like for instance, what, what are some practical steps that you have taken to be able to help your family? So that's, I think that's the important point. Cause sure there's things that we can do. They're going to fix everything, you know, get rid of the federal reserve, get rid of the department of education, um, get rid of taxes. Like all these things would be great. Right. But yeah. as the individual person, like we feel totally powerless. So to me, the area that you have power is your family, right? Like, are you feeding them right? You know, we, we have our own chickens here. We do a lot of our own food. We make a lot of our own bread. So we're providing for our family a lot that way. Um, we do education at home, you know? So if, if I'm making sure that my kids get religion from me and morals and values from me and those things instilled from my family, like that's another thing I can do. Um, we're also extremely involved in our community. And I think that's important too. When you can be involved in your little sphere and take responsibility for where you are and enough people do that, that's what it comes down to. But I think people just feel powerless and they, they, you know, they like even this whole thing that people think like, you know, Trump was like divinely um, inspired or something like that. I'm like that guy, really? Um, but like <laughs> you, you look at it and you're just like there, nobody's coming to save you. You have to save you. And it starts micro and it starts in the home. And if you can create a good environment for your kids and have a good marriage and, you know, put out your values in the right way and raise your kids in the right way and make them willing to work you know my kids have chores like my kids go out and they clean the chicken coop they collect the eggs they do all different things like responsibility is big if you don't give responsibility to kids you will create criminals i guarantee you they have to have some sort of exchange with society and some sort of exchange with you if they have none you will create criminals so if we can fix our homes we can do a lot man i i would have to 100 percent agree with that um there, there's a theory that we, we could end war um, by ending abuse in the home. I don't know if I 100% agree with that. I, I feel like we'd have less of them. Um, but I think you're still going to have like, you know, 2% of people are just really bad. Like you're, you're going you're gonna to have your, your crazies out there. Um, but I think, I think most people are pretty good. Like, so I, 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 do, I do agree with you to some, for some extent. I, I would agree. And how effective ending all war would that be? I'm not entirely sure, but I think that uh, the more we ended uh, child abuse, uh, whether that's physical, emotional, sexual, whatever, sure, um, that that would lead to a lot better situations for people. And oh, absolutely. I, I don't. I don't think that these uh, naturally bad people would be able to raise or be raised to such positions of power like they're so easily able to now. I, I think um, it would be a lot better. I think, think you're still going to have your one-offs here and there. You're like, oof, where'd that guy come from? Yeah. Well, and I think uh, you know, having those uh, more connected communities, you would be able to find those people a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's one issue that we face now is when communities were a lot more tight knit, we were able to be like, Oh, there's something off about that person. Yes. And now we and then we would, don't... we would take them and we put them on a scale and weigh them against a duck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if the, you know, if they, they weren't the right weight, then they were a witch. And push them off a cliff and see if they fly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I can't help my Monty Python references. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
One one thing I I, I want to boil this down uh, sure. even more because one one thing that is important to me is young men. What what do you think, in your opinion, young men could do for themselves to to make a better world? Because it all starts with them. I feel like that's tough because I have young girls. Like I have two of them. You know what I mean? Like I have two <laughs> daughters. I'm absolutely outweighed. I, I guess I can look at what my parents expected of me because I like to feel like. You know, I'm a pretty good guy for the most part. Um, you know, hold the door for people. You know, I we, we we went to Dairy Queen yesterday and there was a lady struggling to get out of her car. I said, ma'am, do you need help? Most people just say, we just look at her and laugh at her. So, like, I think it's really, number one, treating others the way you want to be treated, taking responsibility, taking care of your family. Because I think there's this whole idea of, like, toxic masculinity now right like oh toxic masculinity and sure there's some guys on instagram that are like they take it way too far like fuck you i'm a guy and it's like okay that's a little too far (laughs) but i think like you look at it and you know um a real man respects women a real man provides for his family a real man would risk his own life to protect his children and i think if you can in that way you know the codes of chivalry man if you can go to looking at life like that you're gonna have a lot happier family a lot better family and, you know, you're going to be a better man in that way. So I think it's interesting because we live in a, we, we are like living in like a dystopian neverland where people don't ever want to grow up. They don't want the responsibility. Men aren't getting married. Uh, they don't, they don't want any of that responsibility. That's, that's not a desirable thing anymore. They don't want to grow up though. And society's letting them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like this perpetual childhood and it's it's not even as cool as Neverland. It's it's literally a dystopian Neverland where it's just it's terrible. It's not it's not fun, you know. And you know, marriage is such a terrible business uh move for men these days. And I see why it's not appealing. Um Oh, men also never get um, custody of their own kids, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, exactly. It it it's all downside for men. Um, so I see why a lot of like the MGTOW movement, why men are just deciding to go their own way, uh, not even putting up with it. Um, I'm on the understanding that uh, men should respect women, and women should give men something to respect. I think that's important too, right? Because like, um, like something why my relationship with my wife works really well is could she get the door for herself? Absolutely. But she knows it's important for me to be able to honor her in that way. So she permits it. So I think at the same time, um, it's a woman permitting a man to be a man, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that really is important to a relationship um, because it, it can be an invalidation, right? Like, you know, like, I'm not saying you're incapable of getting this door. I'm not saying you're incapable of doing this thing, but I'm honoring you by doing this for you. Right. So I I think at the same time, there is, that's, I think one of the things that feminism got wrong is, you know, genders are different, man. They are different and they are, um, they're stronger in different ways and weaker in different ways. And, um, you know, like, uh, the nurturing of a mother could never come from a man. And that's an incredible thing that comes from a mother. So I think yeah. the thing we have to look at is granting, you know, the ability to be to the important parts of each gender. Right. And I think that's the really, the strange thing that we've, we've kind of gotten into because you even look at like what's happened with feminism. They've even lost that at this point, because now like 
you know, you have guys swimming and saying, but I'm a, I'm a woman and, and, and I, I have a beard like a woman, but women don't have beards. Like, unless they're, you know, uh, Italian, like, so like, it's like, um, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 I've known some Italian grandmothers that would have to shave, but it is what it is. Um, but like, you know, at the same time, like, I, I think a lot of this is a really big problem with society is like, not a, like there's, there's certain things that make, masculinity so wonderful and make femininity so wonderful and we need each thing in society to to really get so much out of it so i think permitting the other side to be is what makes a marriage work i would have to agree with that um it seems as though my my personal opinion feminism did it to itself um it completely led down this road of men and women being equal, not being treated equal under like under the law. Obviously the law should be applied equally yeah. to everyone, regardless of who or what you are. Um, but socially we should not be treated the same because we're not the same. We're different, we right? Like if you, if, if two, if a man and a woman run a race together, unless that guy is highly overweight, um, one of them has a better chance at winning that race. It's just, genetics man it's just how it works yeah. and it's not saying one is less than the other one is better than the other it's there's certain exactly. things that women are better at, like like i can't breastfeed and if i could we'd have a big problem like <laughs> you know what i mean like it, it's there's certain things that make each gender so wonderful and so special and unique because the yep. other can't do it you know what i mean yeah and that's where i think feminism is cancerous um the idea that just because one can't do something else or one can do something better than something else, that that's somehow bad or oppressive. And I think that that's where the Marxism seeps in. Is well, that, that's exactly what it is. There, there always needs to be an oppressor class, you know, the, 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 the bourgeois man in this case, you know, so it's yeah. like it, it's we can see it in so many different things when Marxism creeps in. That's the end of it. So I, I just want to know, like, maybe I got my uh, my patriarchy uh, monthly meeting invitation lost in the mail or something. But I mean, I I don't know where my my meeting invitation went to. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's just it's it's one of those things where um, you heard of the idea, the concept of a Hegelian dialectic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you if you you know create a problem and you are the one that has the solution, then that's where you go. And we've kind of made communism in this way the solution to everything because there's there's always a there's always there's always struggle in everything, right? That's just how life is. But we've made yeah. it that everything is like a power struggle, which isn't quite the case. But when you do that, um, it has an ability to become more of a, a communistic thing. Yeah, where everything is a civil rights issue. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I I kind of feel bad for this generation behind us because they're looking for a civil rights issue or something to fight for. And there isn't anything like there was. Well, they take advantage of the fact that people are just naturally good. Right. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, uh, don't you love everybody? Well, sure I do. Like, and because of that, like, well, if you don't permit this and that makes you a bad person, it goes back to our conversation about taboo, right? They, they've perverted the fact that people are inherently good and people inherently mm -hmm like other people so if you don't like this thing you're bad yeah that's yeah i i don't think i've ever quite looked at it like that a, a uh a manipulation of 
uh, everyone's common good um, being used against them. I mean, obviously, like the one of the worst things you can be now is a racist, and it's like it's that that only works against people who aren't actually racist because actual racists don't care that they get called a racist. Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's because it goes back to people being inherently good, right? Like, well, I don't want to be that thing because that thing is bad. And yeah. it's like, so I, 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 I don't want somebody to feel that way. So then most people are inherently good. Like, there's a small percentage of people that just aren't so good. Uh, yeah. But it goes back to what you said. If somebody is inherently good and they hear, don't be a racist, I don't want to be. I like people. And I think that can be a really manipulative thing to do to people. And I think that's why it's been weaponized to such an extent. And we see it now with... Um, you know, cries of, of white supremacy and all these different things. Um, and it's like we if you look at America, like we have come so far as a country. We're so more accepting than so many other countries around the planet. But to say like that we're all just racist is crazy. Like, why can't we get along and the best person get a job and the person that isn't qualified not get it? And whatever it is, like, why does it have to be like this racist argument? Yeah. Well, and the person that didn't get the job because they weren't qualified enough, let's try and figure out how to get them qualified if that's what they exactly. want to do. Exactly. But I think that's why the whole thing of like, you know, saying um, this whole participation trophy thing, like where nobody wins and loses, like there's value in losing, right? Like if you didn't get something, figure out how to get better at it, see, see, see a win, man. Like it's, it's just what it comes down to. Oh, man. If like I I was growing up at the the tell end of not having participation trophies. Like they started being a thing right, you know, in the late nineties mm-hmm. uh, when I was still a little kid and I never fortunately had that. Um, there was a few things, but I, I never stuck around long enough because in, anytime I had a participation trophy, it, it felt ingenuine and I rejected it as a child, you know, yeah. it just, it was uncomfortable. So you know, I'm lucky for that. Um, also, you know, thanks to my parents, uh, mainly my mother, who, uh, you know, would make sure that I wasn't around in situations like that as much as she could. So, but it, it, it always felt ingenuine. It's like everybody wins. It's like, what's the point? Well, if everybody wins, there's no point in losing or, or everybody wins. There's no point in winning. Do you know what I mean? There's no value yeah. to it. And I think that's that's the really difficult thing. Yeah. Well, it's it's difficult for me um, to try and make this argument that we we need losers more mm-hmm. than we need winners. That's true. Um, because there's what there's lessons in it if you treat it the right way. But there's we yes. made this connotation that you don't want to lose. So when you don't want to lose, you don't try or you don't improve, whatever it may be. But like there's value in it if you have the correct viewpoint on it. But, you know, hashtag feelings, my feelings were hurt. <laughs> facts, so, don't, facts don't care about your feelings, man. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> so one, one thing I want to touch on before we wrap up here. Yeah. Um, so you were you a competitive power lifter? In my 20s, yeah. In my, in my 30s, I'm a lot. I'm, you know, I'm still in good shape, but I'm not what I was at 24, man. So what it, th- this is something it kind of ties into what we were just talking about. Uh, I believe sedentary lifestyle is a lot of the reason for weaker men, which let me tell you, weak men, uh, not just physically, but, you know, spiritually, emotionally, every, just weak men in general disgust me. 
Well, weak and men are the ones that hurt people because they're weak. Yes, exactly. So if somebody, say, wanted to get into powerlifting or just just lifting in general, what what are your recommendations? Where Where do they start? So I have actually done the same program since I was 17 years old. Um, and I still still do. Um, just dealing with a little bit of an elbow issue right now. So we're, so we're going to get another PRP injection this weekend. But um, I've done the same program. Um, it's called the MaxOT. And if somebody wants to check it out, there's a free program. I have nothing to do with these people. I've just done their program for years. AST-SS.com. They have a free 12-week program in the MaxOT. So what I do is my workouts are 35 minutes maximum. And um, you do about, I do four to six uh, reps per eight to 12 working sets for a workout. And I'm doing about 80% of my max on every rep. Um, but you have a kind of these weird warmups they teach you to do leading up to it. Um, and for me, I was able to go from, um, you know, being a, I wrestled 140 pounds. So I was always a skinny guy and uh, I'm only five, seven too. So I'm not a big guy, but I competed at, uh, at 217 <clears throat> at that with at 80% body fat. So like it took me oh, a yeah. lot of years of getting there. Um, but it's what I like to call linear progression. So I think everybody's like, Oh, I want to get strong and do it fast. Well, number one, that's how you get hurt. Cause your joints can't accumulate that fast. But linear progression is if you can get five pounds stronger or two and a half pounds stronger, every two, you know, one to two weeks, if you compound that over years, you're going to get really strong. So that's how I did it. Is I just did the same program for years. I would kind of substitute German volume training in between two when my body got tired. So that's 10 sets of 10 of like 30% of your max. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get to the, those final reps, it's like destroying you. Um, but for me, that that's how I did it, man. I was um, at my at my peak. Um, I was like 24, 25. I'm, and uh, I, I'm 5'7". I was 217. Bench pressing 455. Deadlifting 635. Squatting 705. Wow. Um, I, I also pulled an 80,000 pound army tank in the back of an 18 wheeler. Um, but like, nice. <laughs> that's the, the kind of stuff I was doing then, but it's, there's no secret, man. It's just consistently doing the same thing for years. And I think people just want to like, you know, jump up and get strong. That's why even like people like I, I've not that I've ever done it, but I have friends that have done steroids and they kind of talk about like, Oh, it's cheating. It's like, actually not really you still have to kind of work your ass off crazily in order to get bigger it just what happens is you can work out longer than other people so you get bigger faster yeah. um but then you destroy your liver and your kidneys and everything else so you're probably gonna have cancer in your 40s um but like <laughs> so it's, it's 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 always hard work even if you're yeah. using other stuff you know yeah well i mean if you just sit and do steroids and just sit on your ass you're still just gonna get fat and you're gonna be very unhealthy then because oh man yeah. all that stuff like if you knew the volume of what some of these guys take, it is very unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think when like the whole liver King thing came out, that guy's was, a bastard, man. I know. <laughs> Trying to convince everybody's eating liver and he was just taking, uh, he was just doing uh, growth hormone. Come on now. I got to hand it to him though. The way he handled that after it came out, that I think was a, a true, a true test of, of manliness because he just, admitted to it and just took it on the chin and it's like you know he could have denied the whole thing he could have he could have ran from it made it everyone else's problem but he just took it and i i don't think his career will recover to where you know he was before and uh hopefully you know he uh changes his messaging because yeah that that really screwed a lot the of liver, the over, liver king but, the liver king yeah but 
I do got to hand it to him on that that manliness of taking it on the chin. So good for him on that. Hey, I'm um, I'm a big fan of the raw egg nationalist. I don't know if you have, you've ever read any of the raw egg nationalist uh, about what things to do with raw eggs that actually increase your testosterone naturally, um, which are it's a very valuable way to like the right supplements and the right nutrition. You can actually do better and not have to worry about like, you know, getting cancers and things in your body that shouldn't yeah. be there because you're injecting all the stuff. That That's actually one thing I wanted to uh, ask you about. Just last thing was yeah. um, exactly what what do you recommend nutritionally now obviously it's going to be way different for everyone um but just just some basics so first this is not medical device so please don't or medical advice so please don't sue me um so <laughs> i do a lot of raw eggs now as i said but that's because i raised the chickens right if you're getting eggs at the store do not do raw egg things you will get salmonella and you will get very sick and possibly die um i've used to do a lot of whole food sources for, I used to do a lot of like supplementation for protein. I do raw eggs several times a day now for protein because what happens is when you cook that protein, you denature it, which means that the protein actually has less value. So for me, that's what I do. Also, I'm, I'm a ratio eater. What, what I mean is like, um, my ratios are kind of like, um, when I'm looking at a plate, I look at things as like a fifth and, um, you know, three fifths of what I eat is going to be a carbohydrate. And then you're going to have a fifth is a protein and a fifth is actually a fat because we don't do enough fat. Um, yeah. So that's for me, like I've always kind of been pretty simple about it. Like, do I have a carb? Do I have the right protein? Do I have the right fat? People can get really in minutia. And of course I did in my younger years where I was weighing everything, but I feel better now. I'm healthier now. I can fit in normal clothes. Um, I also run like a mile every morning, like not because I'm trying to break any land speed records, but just because it's good for your heart. Oh man, I hate running. <laughs> I get bored. I'm usually, I'm that's why I do a mile because it's like I can't really do much more than that and not be bored. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of what I've done, man. It's just in my 20s, I would have had a very different viewpoint on things. Yeah. Um, I, I did used to use this this pre workout um, called Jacked 3D, um, and it had this stimulant in it called 1 3 dimethylaniline. And uh, you had these out of body experiences where you feel like a Greek god working out. Um, and the FDA eventually <laughs> banned it. The FDA eventually banned it because people were cutting it with cocaine before their workouts. Oh, um, so, geez. So, yeah, so this this shit was crazy. So like I would do that and I would do 300 grams of protein, which meant I like nobody could sit in the same room with me because I smelled like a freaking raw egg. So it's like <laughs> what I look at in my in my mid to late 30s is very different than my viewpoint in my 20s. And I will yeah. tell you, I feel healthier in my mid to late 30s. You know, that's that's funny. I've actually heard that from a lot of people uh, w within the uh, health and nutrition uh, industry and also just people who take their health seriously as, uh, as they kind of mellowed out and took things kind of chilled out that they felt a lot better. I still like lift heavy by most people's standards, but I don't lift heavy yeah. by like stupid people's standards. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what I mean is like, like I, you know, I could never touch 400 pounds on, on, you know, bench press anymore, but I've also, I weigh 40 pounds less than I used to weigh, you know? So that's yeah. a big difference, but that means that like, I don't have to grease my pants in order to put them on. Yeah. So like, you know what I mean? Like you find yeah. the happy, you find it's experience teaches you the happy medium of what life should be. Yeah. Understandable. All right. Uh, final question. Um, I always like asking this because I like getting everyone's perspective. Um, why does liberty matter in the first place? 
because it's the it's the ability to do what we want to do, who we want to do it with, and give our time to who we want. But here's the issue that a lot of people don't see. Liberty has major responsibility, and most people don't want to take that responsibility. They just demand liberty because they should get it. And if you don't want to be responsible for it, it's not going to exist. So, you know, that's how I look at liberty. Hey, that's well said. I really appreciate that. Hey, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, do you want to shout out uh, what you have going on, where people can find you? Yeah, if they want to check me out, I'm over at jeremyryanslate.com. Um, I had a book come out in June called Unremarkable to Extraordinary. It talks about a lot of the concepts we talked about today and, and my thoughts on those. So they can get that over at getextraordinarybook.com. Hey, right on. Uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, staying to this point in the interview. It was great having you on, Jeremy. Uh, everyone, make sure to go to risetoliberty.com, uh, risetoliberty.com slash links, which is where you can find everywhere we are on the internet. We have several places because uh, our big tech overlords want to make sure that we don't grow so, uh, you know, reach is always suppressed on all of these other platforms. So make sure and hit that like, subscribe, share, uh, you know, get this out to as many people as possible. And uh, on that note, thanks once again, Jeremy. We'll, uh, we'll get you back on. This was great. And uh, everyone else, until next time, stay free, my friends. <laughs>